Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, and I want to read this uh, little section to you. I'm going to start uh, at the beginning of that chapter, so if you'll give your attention to God's Word. Seeing the crowds, he went up the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And our focus today, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We are continuing our series through the Sermon on the Mount. We're, we're about eight weeks into it or so now. And uh, what we've learned about these Beatitudes, which are the first things that come out of Jesus' mouth uh, as He preaches, uh, really the only sermon like this um, that, he, that we see in the Scriptures, which is more of a monologue, uh, is that he, he basically says with the Beatitudes, here's how the Kingdom of God lives in God's people. Poverty of spirit, meekness, all of that kind of stuff. And then he goes on to say, here's how the Kingdom of God lives through God's people. And kind of the, the, the hinging point of the Beatitudes is blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness which we looked at two weeks ago. And last week, we looked at uh, blessed are those who are merciful. And so today we look at the pure heart. You know, there's this instance uh, in the Gospels where a bunch of dirty, rotten, smelly, uninformed, not put together kids want to approach Jesus. Uh, it's interesting because the disciples are like, they're like on it. You know what I mean? They're like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of this for Jesus. I'm going to make sure that these kids don't get in the way of what Jesus uh, wants to do. Uh, I'm going to go take them back to their parents. I'm going to direct them away. And then Jesus says something re- remarkable to these disciples. He says, hey, don't, not only don't hinder the kids from coming to me, but also, uh, my disciples, if you don't become like these children you'll never inherit the kingdom of God. He flips it upside down. The the kids seem to be a nuisance, but Jesus sees something in the kids that's very, very valuable. In essence, you'll never see God unless you pick up the characteristics of children. What could possibly be so special about a bunch of kids? You know, these ragamuffins. You know what that word means? A a ragamuffin uh, is is, is a filthy... A shabbily dressed, dirty child. These ragamuffins are coming to Jesus. They don't have it together on the outside, but Jesus sees something inside of them. I would say that it is the focus of what we're going to today. He sees a purity of heart and an undivided affection for God that He values and says, disciples, if you don't pick this up, you'll never inherit the kingdom of heaven. You'll never see God. You'll never become like Jesus. Yet, yet, yet here's, the, here's, the, here's kind of the place where we find ourselves. Uh, we find ourselves all grown up with our big boy pants on, adulting to the max. And it's, yet it's so hard for us to find a pure heart in the middle of that. Because we look so good on the outside, and we try so hard to, to posture ourselves to appear really better than we are, that sometimes we never really offer a pure heart to our Father in heaven. So, so what if, just what if, hypothetically speaking, what if uh, the tattered, disheveled outward appearance actually exposed something very pure on the inside? Well, what if that were the case? 
How in the world could we live in such a way where we would actually let God sanctify us and others without condemning them or judging them or ourselves because we're all hypocrites and frauds? What would that look like? What kind of environment would, would we need to live in and create? What kind of culture would the church need to dwell in where we were free to be as messed up as we are, yet being conformed into the image of Jesus together? I think that's what God is after here. Does anyone else feel like a fraud this week, or is it just me? I mean, I just, I, I seriously, like, I, you're going to hear it in the sermon, but I, um, God has just been like, hey, I'm just going to show you how impure you are this week. I just want you to know this as you preach this. So I want to say this before I preach anymore. I want to tell you this. I have absolutely no ground to stand on in my own righteousness this morning. None. None at all. And, and it is with the confidence that I have in the redemption of Jesus that I'm going to tell you what I'm about to tell you today. Jesus says this in His sixth beatitude. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, now the tension that we're going to feel today as we look at this sermon is that, that, that in Jesus, we are pure already, yet we are purifying. So there's a tension. We are pure, yet we are purifying. To, uh, Paul says it like this in Titus 2 as he's writing to the church on the island of Crete. He says, Jesus gave Himself up for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are, his, who are zealous for good works. So you see, there's a good works that are necessary that He wants to produce in us, but in order to produce the good works, the, the pure actions and motives that flow from our heart, he has to first give Himself up for you and for me so that we can be pure in the first place. That's what we're looking at today. So uh, let's, let's, let's uh, define what, what is a purity of heart? What would it actually look like to have a pure heart? I think a purity of heart is this. It's, it's a freedom from the pollution of a divided heart. A heart that Paul talks about where he says, you know, the things, and I think it's in Romans 7, he says, the things that I don't want to do, I do. And the things that I uh, do want to do, I don't. And there's this tension that exists within each of us, this war that wages within each of us. And Jesus says, in one, one, one sense, it's finished. But in another sense, we've got to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So let's look at the three questions that I think this passage leads us to ask. The first one is this. What is the condition of the natural heart? What is it that we're born with living inside of us? So before uh, we get into how God grants this pure heart, uh, we have to drill down on what the natural heart is. Uh, so what is the heart? I think the, the heart is, is, is more than uh, the most major you know, organ in our body. It is, but, it, but it's like that physically uh, in, in the same sense is that it's the center and the source of all that we are. So it is the center and source of of everything that we enjoy in life and is the center and source of everything that we hate about our life. Okay? That, that, that's what's living inside of us. That's, what, that's why it says, Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's the center of who we are. The heart is the center of who we are. Now, Jeremiah chapter uh, 17, verse 9 tells us something very troubling. <laughs> about what lives inside of us apart from the redemption that Jesus gives us. Here's what he says. He says the heart, so the center of who we are, the center of all we are, the center of all we do and all we are becoming, 
The heart is deceitful above all things. So the first thing you got to know about the natural heart is it is full of deceit. You can't trust it. And it is desperately sick, or as some translations say, it's desperately wicked. There's no hope for that heart that lives inside of you. Who can understand it? Now, if I closed it up today uh, with that, uh, we would all uh, be very sad as we walked from this place. This is what lives inside of us naturally. When we come out of the womb, this is what lives inside of our very being. You know, I had, a, I had a, the Johnson family had an interesting week this week. It, it wasn't our favorite week, if I can be honest with you, but it was, it was a week. Uh, but we had this like, you, have, you know how it is, you have these moments where the light just kind of peeks through, right? And it kind of shines brightly and, and it's beautiful. And one of our, um, so, so here's how the, one of these bright moments for me was one of our, one of our children has a dresser in their room, and I'm trying to protect them, you know, because the church is getting bigger, and my kids, you guys all know who they are. So anyway, one of, has a dresser in the room. There's, I'd refinished the dresser. It's kind of a family heirloom, and I'd painted it, and uh, some of the paint is starting to chip off. And so, you know, there's paint that's chipping off, and this particular child uh, begins to kind of peel the paint off of the dresser that I had redone. It's been a lot of time doing that and also shedding paint all over the house. This particular child does this and we make, uh, we make it known that this is not acceptable behavior. We don't enjoy seeing the, 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 the dresser ripped apart and the paint all over the house. And, and uh, this particular child said something, uh, you know, like last week, they're like, yeah, you know, I'm not going to do that anymore, Dad. I'm not going to do it anymore. Finally, this past week, they said uh, to us when I walked in the room and I saw paint all over the place again, I'm thinking, what's the excuse this time? And this kid said uh, to me, Daddy, I can't stop peeling the paint off. I don't know why, but I just can't stop. <laughs> and I share that with you because isn't that our struggle with sin? It's like I know what I'm supposed to do. I just can't stop taking the paint off of it. I just can't do it. That's what lives inside of us. It's what lives inside, that unbelief that lives inside of us, even though we're, we're, God wants to make us pure and give us hope, that lives inside of us. I mean, and in our heart of hearts, if we refuse to grasp that reality that, uh, that we are desperately wicked on our own, if we refuse to grasp that, um, we'll never be able to have pure hearts. We'll never attain seeing God. We'll never get there. We're tempted to think that if our circumstances and surroundings were just right, then we could have more pure hearts. You know, if the dresser was a new dresser that didn't, the paint didn't chip off of it, I wouldn't be tempted to take the paint off of it, Dad. Or name the situation for you. You know, if I didn't drive by that place or I didn't visit that person or if, if that person hadn't mentioned XYZ, I wouldn't have gossiped. We're tempted to think if the environment was right, we could have more pure hearts. I want you to remember what happens in the garden. In the Garden of Eden, it is the most perfect and pristine environment and condition that could ever exist. And what happens in the garden? Sin enters the world in a perfect environment. The environment doesn't matter. 
Church, the most dangerous thing is not what is on the inside of you. It is what is on the, in, is what is on the outside of you. It's what is on the inside of you. It's a heart not redeemed and purified by the work of Jesus. John Owen, one, one of my favorite quotes John Owen says um, a couple hundred years ago, he, he says this, temptations and occasions or trials put nothing into a person. So the conditions around you, they don't put anything into you. But what happens is they draw out what was in us before. It's my favorite quote because it describes why I want to chip paint off the dresser all day long. It describes why I have some days where I walk by the dresser and I don't touch it, and other days where I can't get my hands off of it. It describes what is going on inside of the natural heart. We can't keep ourselves from sinning. We have divided affections, mixed loyalties, and impure hearts. And there's absolutely nothing that we can do about it. But here's the hope. There is one that can. Martin Luther once said this, God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. What I love about that quote is this, is that he's not saying that God makes you a straight stick. You're still a crooked stick, alright? You still have an impure heart. You still want to chip the paint off the dresser all day long, every day as much as you can. But God can draw a straight line with that, straight line with that through the work that He does. So let's, keep, let's go to the second question. Okay, Ryan, we're messed up. There's nothing we can do about it. Where's the good news in this thing? Second question we ask is this. What is the pathway to a pure heart? How do we ever receive a pure heart? And I'll remind you of what a pure heart is. It's freedom from the pollution of a divided heart. Now, So here's the tension I want to look at right now. We are pure and we are purifying. The Apostle Peter talks about this in his letter, uh, 1 Peter. So let's let's turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to look at uh, verses 3 and following. I'll read it for us here. Scriptures say this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. Remember we talked about mercy last week. According to His great mercy, listen to what He's done. He has caused... Underline that word in your Bible. He has caused. He has caused. Not we have earned. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To inheritance that is imperishable, that is undefiled, it's pure and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now that is a jam-packed three verses of Scripture. How can I kind of boil that down to what I want to talk about today? Is that, church, this the reality of this these verses right here, they should be singing to us right now. These should be the best news that you've heard all day in all of your life. That, That when you were impure and you could do nothing about it, God has caused us to be born again. When we couldn't stop chipping paint off the dresser, God has put something within us, namely a new heart, to be born again. To have the ability to not just sin all the time, but to experience victory in times where we do have pure actions and we do have pure motives. He puts that inside of us. But He can't just dress up the old heart. It's not that your old heart just needs a tune-up. As John 3 talks about where Nicodemus comes to to Jesus and he asks him, what's it mean to be born again? Am I supposed to get back in my mother's 
womb. Jesus says, unless you're born again, you'll never see the kingdom. We have to be born again. And here's the good news. Is that God does that work inside of us before we even realize it. Sure, we respond in faith, we confess our sin, and we make professions of faith, but we're so wicked and twisted, according to Jeremiah 17, that He has to start the work in us. He has to cause the work in us for us to be able to choose that, to to follow that. So if you're in here today and you have any interest in Jesus at all, it's because Jesus has already begun a good work inside of you. That's the reality. It's the the most beautiful thing ever. that, that, That while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. That we could choose Jesus. I mean... Think about this. In Isaiah 6, there's this encounter that, that Isaiah has with, with God. And um, when he sees God, he, he responds uh, not by saying, wow, I'm kind of like God. That's awesome. He responds by saying, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell among an unclean people. He's, he knows that he's unclean, but, but Isaiah 6 goes on to say that the Lord then moves toward Isaiah. He moves toward him. And, and he cleanses him by taking a coal from the fire of the altar and, and, and cleansing his lips because he has these unclean lips and he's so aware of it. And he, the Scripture said that he takes away the shame and the guilt that had described Isaiah's life. That's what Jesus does when He comes into our lives, church. That's, that's what He does when he, when he comes to us and He causes us to be born again. He makes you pure. No ifs, ands, or buts. You, sure, you still feel this tension inside of you, but He makes us pure. We are sufficient in Jesus. Think about your life and how disappointed you were, may may have been with yourself this week. Disappointed in your circumstances. Disappointed in your relationship with God and others. To know that because of the work of Jesus, you are sufficient is the greatest truth that you could ever cling to. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes this book called Spiritual Depression that our staff team is now going through. And in the first chapter we talked about this week, he, he shares this He shares this truth that's just been remarkable and profound in my life. He says, you've got to stop listening to yourself and start talking to yourself. And what he means by that is we have to preach the gospel. We have to cling on to the reality of 1 Peter 1, 3-5 with everything that we are, that we are pure. That we have been born again. And that God is making us new. If we don't grab that, there is an enemy that wants to steal it from your mind every single day. He wants to take it away from you every single day. This is why the Scriptures say that we're called to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Because out of our thoughts and out of our minds flow the purity of our hearts and flow the purity of our lives. We've got to take captive. We've got to, we've got to take back what the enemy has stolen. We've got, to, we've got to submit those to Jesus and what His Word says about us. Many times I find myself just getting caught in this feedback loop of lies. And the enemy will twist them in such a way where they kind of sound like they make sense. And you just keep believing them over and over and over again. we got to take captive every thought. So we are pure in Jesus. Church, you need to hear that today. If you are in Christ, you are pure. You're as pure as you could ever be. 
Now, if you're not yet a believer of Jesus, there is a way for you to become pure by giving your life to Jesus. That's the only way. You'll never be able to do enough apart from His work in your life. Second reality for us is this, is that we are purifying. So in 1 Peter 1, we're going to skip a few verses here. You could spend some time and maybe your time with the Lord reading and, and drilling down on this, but, but I want to share these verses with you. Uh, 1 Peter uh, 1.13 and following. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. There, there's, the, there's the emphasis on the mind. Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your mind on it fully. Then in verse 22, he says this, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. So you're not just born of woman with this natural heart. You are born of God. You're going to live forever. That's what he's saying. Through the living and abiding Word of God, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. And, the word, and this Word is the good news that was preached to you. He's saying you've got... Church, you've got to come back to the good news that was preached to you. And and, In other words, your justification, when God made you alive in Jesus, that moment, whenever it was, whether you're aware of it or not, when God made you alive, you've got to keep coming back to that to live a pure life. So your sanctification, growing in Jesus, being conformed more to His image, becoming more pure, is a result of looking back at your justification, what God has done in you. What God has done for you. We've got to keep looking back because the enemy will feed you lies and you will live in that feedback loop if not. In essence, he's saying if our minds are not aware of what a pure heart looks like, how will our hearts and our hands ever follow in lockstep? So we've got to feed our minds and reprogram our minds the truth of who God is, what He requires, and what He's done. Even though our lives don't yet line up to it. We still feed our minds. We have to reprogram ourselves. A few weeks ago, uh, a student uh, here at New City Church, uh, his name is Luke, uh, was running a cross-country race, and he doesn't know I'm sharing this if he's here this morning, uh, but he was running a cross-country race, and uh, he, he was near the finish line, and one of the uh, competitors that uh, was running against him had fallen down. And Luke is running the race. His eyes are fixed on the finish line, and uh, he just feels this prompting to stop running and to turn to his competitor and to help him finish the race. Craziest thing in the world. And I asked Luke, I think it was last week, I said, Luke, what was going through your mind? Like, like, like what happened in that moment? I mean, I know that like, you know, qualifying for state and things like that, like you have to get certain times and, you know, you kind of have a one-track mind when you're running a race. And here's what he said to me. It was, it was, it was beautiful. He says, man, I was just being obedient to God in that moment. Like I just, like God just said, do it. And I just kind of, he wasn't saying that I'm obedient to God all the time, but he said in that moment, I'm just, guess what God wanted me to do? So when your mind, and I'm, I'm not elevating Luke, this is the Holy Spirit calling him into that. But, but if our minds aren't filled with the truth of who God is, that we're called to put others above ourselves, then how could we know to walk in obedience to whatever comes our way in life? 
So we just respond as we fill our minds with who God is and what He's done. So what if we learn to see God through pure hearts? What if God would begin to make us more into His image that way? What if, what if God was inviting us to see Him in all of life? Not, not just in eternity when we'll be face to face with Jesus. Because that is a reality. That's what First Peter says. That's what other Scriptures say. But what if God, what if we could see God in everyday life? What if Luke was seeing God in that moment by responding and obeying? I think he was in a form seeing God. If you want to see God, you have to open the Bible. You have to do it. As much as I love our gatherings on Sunday morning, it's not sufficient to see God in everyday life. We want to help you, church, do that. We want to help you see God. The last question we're answering is this. How can we continue to see God now and through eternity? The only way that uh, any of us will, will see God is by His, his Word as we, we've talked about. But, but in order for us to, to see God, um, we must pursue heart-centered ministry toward one another. Now, uh, I'm going to share a couple of illustrations of what this could look like. The applications for what I'm going to talk about are endless. And ba the, bas the basic premise of pursuing the heart, which is what God calls us to do, because blessed are the pure in heart for they'll see God, we've got to focus not as much on the outside behavior, not as much... Not as much on the outside appearance, but more so on the heart. And this is the most difficult thing we'll ever do. Jesus shares several woes in the, the latter chapters of Matthew. I think it's 22. And uh, one of the descriptions that he describes the Pharisees' approach to purity and holiness is he calls them whitewashed tombs. Now, a whitewashed tomb is a beautiful sight to behold. It's a great memorial. But what Jesus was saying about this tomb was that it looks beautiful on the outside, but it's dead on the inside. What we want to go after, church, is life on the inside. Because we know that life on the inside leads to life on the outside. Seeing God on the inside, not only in our approach toward ourselves, but in our approach to others, leads to seeing God on the outside. Pure hearts lead to pure and clean hands. That's, that's what he's saying here. So I want to I share a couple of illustrations on what this could look like. Uh, you know, uh, one of, the, one of the, the, the approaches to this, I think, comes um, in how you view dating. Now, now, many of you might not know this, but about 25%, at least 25% of New City Church is single. Now, this is great because Megan and I have been praying for five years that God would make New City Church a thriving community that's filled with single people. Folks that, that maybe never plan to get married, they, they feel called to a life of singleness. Folks that maybe have been widowed or divorced, and then folks that are maybe not yet married. We wanted those types of people in those situations to thrive at New City Church, and I'm happy to tell you that they are. It's one of the most beautiful dynamics of this church, and we are so thankful for that community. But, but I've been aware of, of just an, an exposure, even in, even in my approach to dating, and maybe some of yours as well, that there is an incredible temptation for us uh, to uh, pursue uh, a spouse and completely disregard the heart. It's an incredible temptation 
that exist all around us. Now, a perfect example of this is when Samuel, the prophet uh, who is sent by God to anoint a king, uh, you know, King Saul's reign is kind of coming to a close, and and uh, and uh, King David's is getting ready to start. What's well, this? It's this situation where where uh, Samuel goes to Jesse, who I think has twelve sons, and and uh, you know, he's there, and uh, Jesse is saying, "Man, I got your guy. I got your king right here. I got him." And he begins to to take out all the different sons. And it's all these sons that, man, they just look like kings. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, they got the looks. They got you know the strength. They got the might. They've got what it takes to be a king on the outside. And, and then the Lord says this to Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, 7 and 8. Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So what would it look like, those of you, and this, this applies more broadly than this, but what would it look like, those of you uh, that are single and desire to be married, to make the heart the emphasis of your search for a spouse? What would that look like for you? What would it look like to, to, to consider a physical attraction? That's always a piece, right? But to not make it the only piece, right? To, to not make money and financial viability a piece, but not make it the only piece. What would it look like for us in our approach to consider the heart? What would that look like? The, the, the Lord tells Samuel that, that it's a bad approach basically for looking for a king or even a spouse as we're looking at today to look only at the outside. Perhaps maybe it would look like this. Maybe we would look at ourselves. I think that's the first approach that Jesus tells us to look at ourselves, to take the log out of our own eye before we take the speck out of someone else's eye. Maybe the problem is more deeply with us than we know it is. Maybe there's something deeply flawed within us. Maybe maybe it shows us that we are deeply afraid of maybe getting into a relationship and then maybe not seeing them attractive on down the road. And, and I would say that if, if, that is your, if that is your posture and that is your leaning, and it, and it might be, and that's okay to acknowledge that. It's healthy to acknowledge that. I would say that you have a false assumption of what leads to attraction. Because what is most attractive for the Christian is the heart that is submitted to God. Because what holds any marriage together is not your attraction it's not anything physical, but it's the Holy Spirit. Marriage only works through the Holy Spirit. That's, that, that's the bottom line. It's the only way that it works. So what would that look like for you to pursue the heart? What would it look like for you to fan the flame, to put all of your marbles in that basket? And if you are currently in a relationship or even for married couples, maybe a question to consider for you today maybe is, as you go home this afternoon, is this, what is the source of vitality in our relationship? What is it that gives us life in our relationship? And whatever comes to mind, don't be afraid of it. If it's your financial security, acknowledge that. But then also acknowledge that that is an idol for you. What would it look like for us to grow in seeing Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit be the one that holds us together and keeps us attracted in all of those things. Because that's the truth. The second situation I want to tell you about is a parenting situation. Um, 
So the situation occurred about three weeks ago where one of my kids uh, told a bold-faced lie to my face. Man, whoo! You know, it's kind of like one of these, um, did you steal candy from the prize box? No, Daddy. And there's chocolate wrappers all over the kitchen. You know what I'm talking about? Or, or uh, did you hit your brother and I literally see the action take place? No, I didn't do that. It was, it was that type of a lie. And, and at, um, at dinner one night, I called out one of the kids and, uh, and at a lie I knew, I knew that they had committed. And the kid responded to me by saying, yeah, Daddy, I lied. And I'm like, what? You lied? Are you kidding me? Like, how could you lie to my face? How could I ever trust you again? I'm never going to be able to trust you. You're such a liar. And Megan kind of nudges me. And she goes, thank you, sweetie, talking to the kid. Um, thank you for telling us the truth. That was a very brave thing for you to do, to tell us the truth in that moment. I that was really hard, but thank you for telling the truth. And later, Megan and I are talking, and I was like, yeah, that wasn't a great approach, was it? I was just so, I was so conditioned to lies that I... The, the truth, when it came out, I was like, wow. Like that just, I just, I just kind of blew up. It just kind of happened. So anyway, um, like the next morning, I'm on the phone with a, with a rental company uh, and, and about a, a vehicle that we had rented. And um, there, there's some inflated charges, we could say, that I was frustrated about. And, uh, and they asked me a question, and I kind of skirted around the whole truth on the question and told them a partial truth that enabled us to um, attain some more funds uh, that, that I thought were ours. Okay, and then the Holy Spirit, uh, I hang up the phone and the Holy Spirit is like, you're such a liar, what have you done? <laughs> no, he didn't do that. It was like this gentle, it's just like this gentle invite. It was like, you just lied. I mean, was... Was, was that worth $34, Ryan? Was that worth it to, to, to lie, to not tell the whole truth? And I find myself in this place going back to the, the story that I started with about the kids coming to Jesus. I find myself in this place where I'm like, I'm just like the kids except I cover it up a little better. And the Lord kind of brought to mind in that moment that I'd always looked at Judas and said, man, 30 pieces of silver? I mean, at least go for 60, man, if you're going to sell Jesus out. And I realized, man, I probably would have sold him for less. I would have sold Jesus off for less. In those moments, we're all liars, cheaters, adulterers. We are all guilty of all of those things, breaking the law of God. We are all impure. And when we begin to see the heart Instead of just the actions, we begin to grow together in Jesus. And it creates a culture, whether it be in your parenting or your marriage or any relationship that you're in, creates a culture where the heart can grow at the pace that Jesus Christ is conforming it. Because every other posture, when we try to make our kids look like they're not lying even though they're lying, is making them into a whitewashed tomb. Something that looks good on the outside but is dead on the inside. And so the invitation for us today is to submit these impure hearts to God. We all know that we have them. 
I was reading Psalm 103 this week, and uh, there's this verse in verse 14 that says this, For He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. And I read that and I just kind of broke this week. He knows our frame. He knows that we are impure. He knows that we are volatile, that we are changing, that we are deceitful. He knows that that fills our lives. But He also remembers His Son that He's sent to give us hope and give us redemption by purifying our souls. So what I want to do now is I want, I want, to, I want to encourage you to pursue the purity of God by taking off the mask, being free to see the inner corruption of your heart and your actions, and free to grow as God grows us. And if that, that's the type of community that God is birthing at New City, and I think it is, we'll all see God together. Let's pray. Father, we, we come to You and we thank You today for uh, Your Word and for how, oh man, it, it stabs us to the core. It convicts us further than we thought we need conviction. So God, I pray today that we would see God together. We would learn to see God together in everyday life as we look at Your Word and realize that we are pure, but we are purifying. And Lord, may You make New City Church a place that sinners find welcoming. Not because we approve of such sin, but because we know that we're all in the same boat and that the beauty of who You are is that You draw straight lines with crooked sticks. Change our hearts, God. I pray even today that You'd be birthing new hearts in our midst. The folks would be invited to respond to You as they see the dread of their sin with the hope of Your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.